0: Well, it's wonderful to see you here this morning and I know that a lot of our small groups are now meeting again on campus and so we welcome you back that have not been with us uh, previously. Anyone here maybe for the first time since uh, we started all this uh, uh, good uh, pandemic stuff? Any, anyone here? All right, several of you all across the auditorium. Let's welcome them back, all right? And uh, we also welcome those online as well and if you want to, Uh, Tune in to the next uh, service as well. Different uh, uh, approach to music altogether, and so you may enjoy that as well. But with that, I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 12. First book of the Bible. Easy to find, right? Genesis chapter 12. We want to begin reading in verse 1 in just a few moments. And uh, the title of the message today is Conquering Faith, and it's part of the Overcoming Spiritual Growth series. We are certainly living in troubled times. I think all of us can agree on that. We are living in troubled times, and everyone thinks to themselves, what happened? If you're very young, you're wondering, wow, what happened to the world all of a sudden? But if we were to be honest with ourselves and really think about through history, some people would even say, well, you know, it's been this way since the recession. We've, been, we've just been going through troubles and trials ever since that. Someone else would say, no, it really started at 9-11. Others saying, you know, in the 80s. You know, there's a lot of greed going on maybe in the 80s. And someone else says, no, it's the 60s with the the Vietnam War and the sexual revolution is where it all started. Others would say, no, it's all the way back to World War II. Everything changed at that point. But if we were to really look at history, it's been changing all along. And it's getting more and more challenging as we go along in life. Psalm 11.3 says this. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, we look at our world and see the, uh, the situation that we're in today. But I want us to address something a little closer to home, and that is how it's affecting us. You know, if, if our foundation is destroyed, what are we really going to do? We've been in a series of messages on overcoming spiritual vertigo... And it's based upon the book that you're studying in your small groups, and we said that physical vertigo is when your brain can't process, your brain can't process what it's seeing. There, there's a disconnect there. And spiritual vertigo is when your faith cannot process what you're seeing, hearing or experiencing in life. We went over the definition of faith. We went over the definition of overcoming spiritual vertigo. We looked at the spiritual warfare that takes place. And it's not just of ourselves, it's not just of the world outside, not of the flesh, but also uh, we have spiritual warfare that's taking place as well. Well, once you deal with your faith, as we have in the first six chapters of the book, you've got to do something from there. Because if you're going to stay out of spiritual vertigo, if you're going to keep your spiritual equilibrium and balance, you must do something with your faith. You've got to have some courageous conquering faith about you, and that's what really fools us anyway. Look in Joshua. In fact, in your studies in the book, it looks at the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, "'The book of the law, this book of the law, "'shall not depart from your mouth, "'but you shall meditate on it day and night, "'so that you may be careful to do "'according to all that is written in it, "'for then you will make your way prosperous, "'and then you will have success.'" And you're thinking to yourself, well, there you go again, Pastor. You know, I feel like that God wants me to be successful in life, fruitful in life, as the New Testament would put it. But I don't see that really happening in my life. I'm not experiencing that in life. And so I'm experiencing not only spiritual vertigo and the things that are not happening, or rather that are happening in the negative in my life, but what about those things that are not positive in my life? How do I get to the point of really making a difference in this life. Well, Abraham is a great example of what we're talking about this morning. He had conquering faith. In fact, if you were to look at history, you would find out that Abraham is considered the father of three different religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. All three of those claim him as a spiritual father. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, that book in the New Testament, and that chapter that talks about the great Old Testament people of faith, more verses are given to Abraham than any other person in the Old Testament, any other person in the Bible. And so this man is very significant of what God called him to do, what he ended up doing, and the impact he made all throughout his life and even in our lives today. In in Genesis chapter 12, we read these verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, and this was his name before God changed it to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make you a great, and make you great, your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in whom who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram Went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so we find a picture of Abraham leaving his home. I want us to look at four things in this passage that's going to really help us in our journey ahead. Number one, we need to look at God's presence, four things God's presence, and then our path, God's purpose, and finally, our price. Look, first of all, with me, in the presence of God. There is no indication here that God ever showed up. We have no record of God ever showing up in Abraham's life until this very point. Now, notice what he called him to do. He says, I'm going to go. I want you to go from your country. He, He wants him to leave the country. He wants him to leave his family. He wants him to leave his father's house. Now, you look at the life of Abraham, and you look at it in reverse. We look at 20, 20 vision. You know, everybody can have 20, 20 vision if they're looking at the past, right? Everybody can say, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. You made a mistake there. And, you know, we look at Abraham's life, however, and we think to ourselves, well, he was just great. He was perfect. How in the world could he could ever be an example of spiritual vertigo? Well, let's look at it. First of all, he says, Go get out, and his question had to be, where? And God didn't show him right then. And then it says, I'm gonna show you a new land. Well, when? He never saw, he saw the land, but he never took possession of the land until his grandchildren took possession of it. And then you're gonna have a son. How? At the time he he had a son, he was 99 years old. He said, I'm gonna ask you to slay your son. Why? Why? Why would you do that? And so we see the questions. Where, when, how, why? Same questions that we ask ourselves when something negative happens to us. Or when we can't see the positive in life. He was going through the same kind of spiritual vertigo that we were going through. Now, why in the world would he say, God could come to him and say, I want you to go to a land I'm not going to show you yet to a land that you'll never inherit, to leave your uh, father's house so you can be a blessing to everybody else. Why in the world would he do that? Think about it for just a moment. Why would you do that? Something happened in his life that we all long for in life, and that is this. God showed up in his life. God was present in his life. Now that can happen to us as well. And it does happen to us, for example, in salvation, the salvation experience. I can share the gospel with you today that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He's the only way to heaven. We must simply trust in him for our salvation. I can preach that all day long. But until God shows up in your life and reveals that to you, I'm just really not wasting my time, I'm planting seeds, I'm giving God certainly opportunity, but it will not happen in your life. Salvation will not happen until God really shows up. We can see this in the book uh, of Isaiah. If you recall that book, oh, Isaiah chapter six, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And there were seraphims all around him. And God said, and, and uh, rather, he, uh, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. What was he saying? My lips reveal my heart. And as soon as he, God revealed himself to Isaiah. And God, as he revealed him, Isaiah saw him for who he was. He immediately had a change of heart. Immediately, immediately a conviction in life. You see, see this in the New Testament. In the, in the Gospels where Peter was coming in from fishing and Jesus was standing on the shore and he says, cast your nets on the side. Well, the Sea of Galilee is deep, or rather the lake is deep on each side. It doesn't have like a beach going down to it in most of the places. It's just kind of cut off in a lot of places. And so they still may have been in somewhat, shallow waters but nevertheless an, enough depth to have a few fish and so Peter said look you know I, I know what he's thinking hey look I'm the pit fisherman here I mean you're telling me we've been going all night haven't caught a thing and you're telling me now to cast my net on the side of the boat and we're already really docked well he did it and he said well at, at your bidding Lord and he tossed it over and enough fish came into that net it began to turn the boat over and he needed Peter called on people For help. It's the biggest catch they had ever seen. Anyone had ever seen to that point. What happened? Peter looked at Jesus. I'm sure with a big smile on his face. And suddenly he began. He saw Jesus. Really for the first time in his life. I mean really seeing him. He fell down to his knees. He said Lord depart from me. I am a sinful man. Here was God revealing himself to Peter. And he had a change of life. Dear friends, one of the things that we long for, in fact, the thing that every believer longs for when they're going through a trial, when they're wondering what's going to happen in their life, when they're wanting to move ahead and do something great in their life or move ahead and do something great for their family, they want to know one thing. God, are you with me? Are you with me? Is the promise true that lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth? Are you there? Do I I sense you? Do I feel you? And we have the idea in our life, God, if you would just show up. How does he show up? We'll come to that in just a moment. But he's got to show up. He's got to reveal himself to you and to me. Secondly, I want you to notice there's a path. Because once God shows up and we'll come back again to that in just a moment but once God shows up he needs to begin to give us direction in life what is the next decision we need to make what is the next choice life is filled with choices and we're challenged with them every single day not only that but the wrong decision could lead us down the wrong path for a long time the right decision could be a blessing for a long time and so we're thinking to ourselves, God, how in the world can you really accomplish this in my life? How can you give me direction? Well, I want you to notice again in verse one it says, Now the Lord said, Go from your country and I will show you. He says in verse 12, verse one, I will show you. And then he promises something I'm going to make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great. He makes a promise to Abraham, but he tells them, he tells them at least the direction to go. Now, he had a calling in his life. This is what was happening to his life. He was being called of God. God showed up like he did with Moses, we'll say, in the burning bush. God revealing himself to Moses that day, then giving him direction. And he was giving Abraham direction at this point. He was saying to him, Look, I'm calling you out to do something really significant. Now, we have callings in our life, general callings. One is salvation. John 6, says, no one can come to, to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We're called to salvation. We respond. We respond to God's grace, but it's at his initiative. We're called to growth for those who he did foreknow. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God is changing us over, growing in the Lord. We're called to service. Hebrews 12 tells us that, uh, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We've been called to serve, to do something of impact, to do something of significance. We've been called for purpose. Individual purpose as well as general. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future in a, in a hope. Now, the question is are you hearing these callings? Do we hear them? What voices are we really listening to in our life? What voice? We've talked about spiritual warfare, and the spiritual warf- warfare is a voice. But that spiritual warfare that happens in our life can also be just telling us, look, here's what you need to do. You need to pay attention and listening to the voice of what you can see. What you can hear. What you can experience. After all, if spiritual vertigo is our faith not being able to respond to those three things and having some sort of match process going on, then evidently, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the things that are the temporary things of life. Trusting in the things of the world. And the world has no foundation. If the foundations of the world be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, what kind of foundations are we really looking at today? Well, somebody says, well, you know, if I'm going to be honest with myself, and it's hard to be, I'm looking to the intellectual foundations of life. I'm looking toward uh, the intellect. And I'm looking toward uh, maybe looking at history or science and and all the disciplines that go with that. Well, intellectually, the enlightenment, of course, came across, what, a couple hundred years ago. And it was saying to ourselves that, or saying to us, uh, maybe around 100 years ago, is basically saying, let's reject religion. We're just rejecting that. And then... The next generation comes along and not only rejects enlightenment, but also rejects the religion that they rejected. Things have changed. More modern, the modernism of of the first of the 20th century and the middle of the 20th century, it was modernism. You look for truth, but you don't look for it in the word of God. You look for it outside. You look for it in the sciences. You look for it in the world. Post-modern, postmodernism, excuse me. I'm getting out of breath. <clears throat> postmodernism, I'll pause a little bit to get an amen anyway. Maybe I. Okay, I'm ready. Thank you very much for that pause. Um, we think about our culture and we think about what's going on today. And in recently, until recently, postmodernism kind of took over the scene, and the postmodernism says, "What what truth? What truth are you really talking about here?" I mean, there is no truth, really, is there? And now that's gone by the wayside, and it had to be because how can you argue that? It's like the professor said, "I know one thing for sure: there's absolutely no absolute truth." And a student raised their hands, "Are you absolutely tr- sure about that? Are you sure?" It just has that circular argument, just doesn't work. So people come along and say, Look, there is truth, and it's my truth, and you don't have a truth. In fact, I'm not listening to you. I'm canceling you out because you don't agree with my truth. And so now they're saying, There is no postmodernism, there is no modernism. You see what's happening? Every generation, or every other generation, is coming along with a whole new intellectual argument that says those other people were not only wrong. That, that what were they thinking? There is no intellectual foundation. There's no intellectual. Uh, there's no um, cultural foundation. There's no economic. Somebody says, "Well, I'm not really trusting in the culture. I'm not really trusting in um, the intellectual arguments of the day." I'm really trusting in my finances. If I just have the money, I was reading something the other day in 1965, around that time, the Dow Jones was under 1,000. It was about 850. And today, I don't know what it is today, 27, 27 28,000. It's just growing all the time, it seems like, or at least growing from time to time in a big way. But we think, I'm gonna trust in my finances. Well, what happened during the recession? Almost really a depression just a few years ago. Suddenly the things that we were trusting in had no foundation to it. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a wonderful Bible, Bible scholar. In fact, he has a series on Romans, for example, that's about this long. I mean, this many books. Ephesians, kind of the same way. He took every verse and broke it down. And every verse was a sermon in itself. He was kind of known for that. And he wrote the book, Spiritual Depression, if you want to get that. It's a very good book. But D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a London pastor, was once um, a medical student. And he was an intern for the head of medicine at one of the major hospitals in London. And this uh, mentor of his really took to D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And they began to have kind of a friendship, really. And one night... Jones heard that his mentor's wife had cancer, inoperable cancer, and he was gonna contact him. But not long after he found out, just a few hours later, his mentor, his professor, and his, the doctor, the head of medicine, one of the most important men in London, showed up at his door, and that's really kind of unheard of. He said, can I just come in and sit down? He said, yes, of course. Back then, most of the flats, as they called them, had fireplaces. And he had a roaring, nice little fire going. And without a word, this doctor came over and sat down at the fire and stared at the fire for more than two hours without saying a word. And Jones looked at him, Dr. Jones looked at, at, at him, and stared at him, and didn't know what to say to him until finally he just thought to himself, I'm witnessing the vanity of human greatness. Torn down by a simple phone call. Life ended, it would seem, at least for a time, for a great man with one simple phone call. Where are the foundations? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, here's the, here's the problem sometimes with our own faith. We've been talking about faith. It's between attention, T-E-N, S-I-O-N, a stress, attention, between the no longer and the not yet. And we've defined it. But we need to be very careful that we don't look at our faith and say, this is the ticket. Faith in itself is not the ticket to anything. Faith, rather, is a way to please God, but it's the way it's who we have faith in. It's what we have faith in. For example, you're riding down the road in a windshield, and uh, sometimes this happens to you. Know something uh, pops on your windshield. So a bug. You know it's love bug season, right? If it's not, it's going to come. If it's not, it's already been. Here it comes what twice a year, and um, so love bug splat, splat. And if you're not careful, you can start looking at these love bugs. And say, I'm, I'm going to have to go get that off. And you start looking at this windshield. Wow, well, look at this windshield. doesn't have any cracks on. Oh, my goodness, there's a crack right there. And all of a sudden, what, what's going to happen? You're going to have a wreck. Because you're paying attention to the windshield and not looking through the windshield. Dear friends, we need to look through the lens of faith. But our object is the Lord Jesus Christ and his foundation in our life. The Bible says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. There's no foundation laid, but such is laid as Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, another favorite passage of mine, where it says, Jesus said, Look, if you, if you go, by the tent, go by the Sermon on the Mount and go by these teachings and follow me, I'm gonna liken to yourself to a person who built his house upon a rock. And the winds came and the winds blew. And the storms came, and the house withstood itself because it was founded upon a rock. He said, on the other hand, if you build your house upon the sand, or you don't go by these teachings of mine, I will compare you to a person who built his house upon the sand. And the winds came, and the storms came. Oh, well, thank you very much. bad part about that is, <clears throat> it won't do any good at all. <clears throat> but it does make me feel better. Um, he said, I'm going to compare you to a person who built his house upon the sand. And the winds came, and everything blew, and great was the fall of the house because it was just built upon nothing. Just what was it, whatever was there. When you build your foundation upon the things of this world... The same storms are going to come even if you build it upon Jesus Christ. The difference is when your life is built upon the true foundation, your, your house or your life is going to stand. When it's not, it's bound to fall because Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, being that true foundation of life is the key. Well, I need to move on because we've got our GPS, we've got our directions, we've got where we're, we're going. We need a purpose, a purpose in life. Notice what happens here that you might you and I might miss so easily. He says, I'm gonna make your name great. Into verse two. So that, oh man, what a what a key phrase. So that, so that you will be a say it. A blessing. Sometimes we go to God and say, God, why is this happening to me? Look at all the things that are going on in my life oh my goodness, why me? Maybe we ought to turn that around for just a moment because we know as we look at the no longer, we look back in the past, we know that God has blessed us. And so when those blessings come, and you say, wow, I really had a great month. Oh my goodness. And you say, well, I've never had a great month. Well, okay, you've had a great week, great day. I mean, you've had the blessings of God come your way. There's been a, this has been a, a great Uh, uh, a windfall for you spiritually in so many ways. Maybe we ought to be asking ourselves the question, God, what are you doing in my life? Now, I want to ask it when things aren't going well, but what about when things are going well? What should I be asking God? Maybe I'll be asking God, God, why are you doing this to me? Well, so that you can be a blessing to others. I don't see very many times, in fact, I can't think of any time, in the Bible where God blessed some people and then said, uh, you you can just keep the blessing. You get blessed in order to be a blessing to someone else in your life. We look at our mission and vision statement as a church. And the mission statement is that we're teaching people to, to love, to know, to trust, to follow Jesus. So that what? The vision statement that you can take Jesus everywhere you live, work, and play, and go, that the sun will never set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. It's a so that to the whole situation. We look at Abraham. He was a blessing to all the nations. Through Abraham, Jesus Christ was born, and he has been a blessing to all nations. Peter was a fisher of men. Isaiah, that we mentioned a few moments ago, said, Lord, send me. And he was a prophet to the nation of Judah. We can look at the blessings also that has happened in our church as well. And we can look at the nation of Israel. Look at Israel. Can you find the Moabites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, termites? We can find the termites in Florida. The point is this. You got a little nation called Israel. You're going to have to. If you don't know where it is, you're going to have trouble finding it on the map. And yet, during the last couple of weeks, we've had a, tree, a treaty signed between the, the Arab nations and Israel, and it made world news. Why? Because it's Israel. Because it's a, it's a it's a. A nation that has been blessed in the past. God has somehow held on to that for his glory, and he will, they will be used in the last days. God has blessed that nation. God has blessed our church. He's given us a lot. He's blessed us greatly. And we are to be that blessing to other people. But then you you look and say, Well, look, Pastor, I want you to know that I feel like I've been open to that. I've been open to the presence of God. I have been open to having a purpose in my life. But what about me? I just don't see, I'm still experiencing spiritual vertigo in the other way. And that, what, what Abraham maybe was going through, Lord, what, what? what are you doing in my life? Where is the blessing so I can move forward? Well, I share with you again. Someone came to me and said, look, I've been praying for this, praying for this, praying for this, and it just didn't come true. I already knew their life, this is years ago, wasn't in this church, but I already knew their life. They dropped out of church. They were not, I asked them before if they were reading the Bible. Answer was no. Are they ministering to anyone? No. They were not right with the Lord. 1 John 3.22 says, look, I'm gonna answer your prayers because you keep my commandments and do those things that are pleasing in my sight. We're right with God. So with that, there's a price. There's always a price to pay. You say, I want something free. Well, it's not free. You say, well, salvation's free. I beg your pardon. It is not free. It is not. Jesus paid a lot for that salvation. It's a free gift. Exactly. It's a free gift that God gives us. Every time You give someone something, it costs you something. If you were to write out a check for me for $10,000, even today, and that's just a little message, you know, just Okay, let's change it. If I were to write you out a check for $10,000 today, that would be a miracle. You said, man, this is free. It costs nobody anything. No, it costs me a lot. I had to work for that. There's always a price to pay. One of the great illustrations is your credit card. Now, I'm not advocating credit or no credit. I think that if you go too far into credit, you're making a huge mistake in your life, and you know that. But just say you did. You went out and you said, Man, I'd really like to have that shirt. I really like to have that outfit. I really like to have that suit. I really like to have that car. I really like to have this. I, I can't get a car loan, but I can put it on the credit card. And suddenly you have tens of thousands of dollars maybe on a credit card. And it was fun. I once knew a guy that was in such debt, and I said, Man, what would you do anything different? He said, Well, I don't know, but I guarantee you I wish I wasn't in debt. I said, What would you do? And he said, I'd go out, take that credit card, and spend until I couldn't spend anymore. He was he was regretting he was in debt, but he would just go right back to it before. Why? Instant gratification. And listen, there's nothing wrong with delayed gratification. In fact, that is the secret to maturity when you can put things off. But what happens? There's always a price to pay. You can even pay the, pay the price up front and you can say, no, I'm gonna do without that um, do, Okay, I'm not gonna buy that uh, $5,000 lawnmower. I'm not gonna buy that. And um, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna save my money. Now there's a sacrifice there. But at the end of the day, if you charge $5,000 for a lawnmower, you're not paying $5,000 for it. You know that, right? You're paying $5,000 plus 15% interest. You always pay the price. It just depends on when you pay it. But you can either pay now or you can pay more later and suffer sometimes the consequences. You say, yeah, that doesn't always work out. I mean, after all, you know, here you are, maybe there's someone listening, and uh, I I know of a few people, perhaps, not in this church, but they've gone on uh, disability, but they can work. You know, they just had something happen to them, and you think, well, you know, this is something I can just do and not have to worry about it. And so they go on disability and they're young and they're very much able to work and they do other things, golf or fishing, whatever they want to do. But they could work. You say, well, then what's the sacrifice? Let me tell you the sacrifice. One day, that guy's going to wake up and say, say to himself, I've wasted my life. There's always a price to pay. And so when we're talking about paying a price, we're saying, well, You know, What do I pay a price for getting God's presence really felt in my life? Well, what about a quiet time? What about a time with God? What about reading the Bible? What about going to church? The Bible says, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night. Then your way will be successful. Then your way will be successful. Psalm 1 says the same thing. You get the presence of God in your life when you come and you worship God. Listen, the thing that's going to keep people coming back to church and will get them coming back to church even after the pandemic is over, completely coming back, is is not going to be preaching. They can hear that and watch that right now on their device at home. And it probably won't be the music because they can always watch it again listen to the radio, they can always download music. It won't be that. Maybe it'll be the fellowship. Because, I mean, after all, you cannot experience fellowship unless you're here, and that's going to be a big ingredient for sure. But then again, some people have long dropped out of church and still meeting with a small group during the week. They're still going to lunch with the same people they they uh, used to go to small group with. I'm we're talking about for, the, for years they, they've been doing that. So there's a possibility. What's going to keep people from coming back? I can tell you. People are going to come back because they sense the presence of God in this place and in their life. That's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. And you see people raising up their hands or singing before the Lord. What are they doing? I, I just... Know if they're doing like me, they're sensing the presence of God in their life when they're singing to the Lord. When they they sense the presence of God, maybe during the invitation, when it comes down to that, that time of prayer of commitment, and they feel like God is speaking to their heart, that's what keeps people coming back to the Lord. That's what keeps people coming back to the Word of God. That's what keeps people coming back to church. The presence of God. Are we willing to pay that price? Listen, gold, silver, and precious stones... Costs a lot more than wood, hay, and stubble. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to make that sacrifice? I'm willing to make the sacrifice of service because then I know I'm gonna make an impact. I've got a blessing in my life. How am I gonna pass that blessing on? To be the blessing to everyone else. There's always going to be a price to pay. Either you pay now with some effort. Maybe some giving. Maybe giving of your time to the Bible, to church. Or you pay a price down the road. Some parents are wondering, man, what did I I do? They dropped out of church. Their, Their children were teenagers or they went to a church that wasn't preaching the gospel. And now they're paying the price. There's always that price to pay. Always. If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? The foundation is Jesus Christ himself and seeking him. Now he's already paid the price for you for salvation and all we have to do is receive that. But you say, yeah, but I I experience all kinds of spiritual vertigo, I just can't see. I, I just can't take a step because I just can't see it. Again, we're looking at the things we see here and experience, look at the world, and trusting in those foundations. I just can't see it. Reminds me of the story of a building that's filled with smoke burning down. And a little girl comes to the window. And her dad is running down the street about that time because he sees the building on fire. She sees him down on the ground. and She yells, second floor, Daddy. He looks up and sees her his daughter knows he can't get to her. He says, "Jump, jump!" And suddenly the smoke was so filled in the room, going out into out the window. She just yells back, "But daddy, I can't see you." And he says, "It's okay, honey, because I can see you." Dear friends, sometimes in life we can't see what God's doing. We can't see Him. In the thing that's going on in our life. But he can see you. He can see you. And talk about a price? He did. He paid the ultimate price for you and I as he died on the cross for our sins. And as he did that, he did so to have that relationship with us, that original design that, like, he, his voice was walking through the garden in Genesis. His voice. Needs to be walking in the garden of our life even now. That in touch with God. Do you you sense that? Do you have that in your life? If not, why not? Why? The same questions that Abraham was answering. What? Where? When? Why? Why? With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, as a believer in Christ, I would ask you, what about you? and your walk with God, don't you yearn to know the presence of God in your life? Don't you yearn for that? You need to make a decision, a conscious decision. God, I want you as the foundation of my life. And God, I want to seek after you and just be obedient to you and doing the things that would place me in the path of blessing. So I know that you are in a position to bless my life. God, would you do that? And if you've never received Jesus into your heart, I want to invite you to make that decision right now. In the quietness of this moment, heads bowed and eyes closed, right now, would you pray with me? You can pray, repeat this prayer with me as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Make me the person that you want me to be. Help me to lay you as my foundation of life. Help me to see the spiritual, hear the spiritual, experience you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.